I shouldn't have said we shouldn't have done that project. Like it was great, but how do we not do that project six months from now? Welcome to the Smart Gets Paid podcast with me, Leah Niederthal. I help women land higher paying clients in their independent consulting businesses, but I've never been a salesperson. My background is in corporate marketing. And when I started my first consulting business, I learned pretty quickly that it's about a thousand times harder to sell your own stuff than it is to sell someone else's. So I taught myself how to do it and I created the sales approach that I now share with my clients so they can feel more comfortable in the sales process, get more of the right clients and get paid way more for every client contract. So whether your client contracts are $5,000, $100,000 or more, if you wanna work with more of the clients you love, do more of the work you love and get paid more than you ever thought you could, then you're in the right place. Let's do it together. Thanks for tuning in. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. Hey there, Leah here. And thanks for tuning in. I hope that wherever you're listening to this, wherever you are right now, you're having a great week, making some good progress on your business and taking some time for you. So if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I started my career in the advertising agency world. I worked for an agency called DDB and then an agency called Leo Burnett before I went in-house to a tech company. And when I worked in the agencies, I worked in business development. So my team and I led the efforts to get new clients for the agency. A brand or a company would put their advertising business up for review, as it's called, and we would be invited to pitch And then my team and I would assemble a pitch team from among the creatives, the strategy people, the account people at the agency, and put together like a full-on strategy and three or four spec campaigns working nonstop for months. And then it culminates in this huge pitch to try to win the business. It's kind of funny right now because this process is like so different than how the consultants that I work with actually get clients. I mean, even though it goes by the same name, business development, like in my methodology, there's no pitching, no responding to RFPs, but that's for another day. But anyway, this whole process starts with an RFP that the brand would send out to the agencies. And a while ago, the company Keurig Dr. Pepper sent out an RFP for their advertising business. And usually these really don't get much attention outside of like the agency world, but this one really did. So Keurig Dr. Pepper owns 7up, Canada Dry, Sunkist, Schweppes, Snapple, and of course, Dr. Pepper, and then a bunch of at-home beverage brands like, of course, Keurig. So their advertising business is a huge piece of business for any agency. And when they sent out the RFP and when the agencies saw the RFP and the terms, Across the board, they were shocked because the company was mandating payment terms of 360 days. So think about 360 day payment terms, meaning that the agency would staff a whole team on this account, maybe several teams, and that team would do the work and they would need to be paid their salaries. But if the agency sent an invoice, they would be paid from the client basically a year later. And during that year, the agency wouldn't have any income from the client. They basically have to float a year's worth of salaries for this massive agency client. But (laughs) side note, the brand did offer a solution. The agencies can get financing independently. Your alternative is to get a loan, basically to get a loan so that you can service our business. 
Now, agencies are not really known to push back on these sorts of things because, listen, the industry is hard, the margins are thin, the brands basically have all the power. But this was, I think for everybody, just too much to bear. I'm in a Facebook group with a lot of media agency and PR people, and the reaction across the board was just, no, like, do not pitch this business. We're not pitching this business. A lot of chatter around this because... Really, it was so clear that this is a bad deal. This was a bad deal for any agency. So people were like, don't participate. Don't respond to this RFP. Don't participate in this process because this is not good for your business. And I was thinking about this whole debacle as I was editing this episode because in it, I'm talking to two women about one of their clients where in the sales process, things went a little sideways. And they ended up saying yes to terms that they didn't like. And in the wake of it, they're left scratching their heads wondering, how did this happen? And how can we prevent it from happening again? The women I'm talking to are co-founders of a consulting agency in the sustainability space. They've been running their business for a couple years, and one of them even has sales experience. But as anyone knows, even if you've been in sales, selling your own stuff is so much harder and more emotionally, psychologically fraught than selling on behalf of somebody else. So in this episode, you're going to hear us unpack what happened in the sales process. You'll hear us talk through a way to help the client that's still positive and profitable for your business. We're going to talk about how to make the most of a not great situation And you'll hear us talk through how to avoid it in the future. So if you've ever talked to a potential client who you really want to help, but who maybe can't afford you, or you've gotten pushback from a client on price or scope, or if you've ever gotten so far down in the sales process that you just felt like, like, can this be over? Like something has to work out here. Then I know you'll find a lot of helpful information in this episode. I want to send a huge thank you to my clients for allowing me to share this conversation with you. Take a listen, and at the end, I'll come back and share a lesson that you can apply to your business. The one other thing is that one of our questions was that we we ended up doing a project this week that it was totally fine, but it started off as a $5,000 project and ended up at an $800 project. And I don't know how that happened. And it was only like, a, we only did one meeting with them. They basically just wanted us to review some stuff and give recommendations. And it wasn't like a, it, it was fine, but I, it's like, well, how did that happen? And why did we yeah. do that? Yeah, I, I'm like, should we have just never talked to them? And how do we weed them out sooner? But then it went really well. And I'm like, should we like keep trying, like keep a relationship and try to work with them in the future when they're bigger? I don't know. I'm like, I'm not sure which said, part of that is the part that we should change, I guess. Yeah. Obviously, and, the negotiating, but I mean, is there bigger things that we They should? came up with the $800 number. That wasn't like a net, they like, we're like, how about this? And we were like, wait, <laughs> how did this happen? <laughs> okay. I'm really confused as I'm sure you are too. So, <clears throat> okay. Yeah. What happened? This is like insane. So, so, so how did they come to you? So the long story short is we reached out to them. 
and they were in, so our services with, we can do a huge project helping somebody from the very beginning to the very end, but there are also a ton of pain points along the way. So they were in a period of time where they had submitted their assessment. You need 80 points to get certified. So they were in a time crunch where they really needed help figuring out how to make up those points. And so we offered sort of our robust package, which is a full review, a couple of sessions for, you know, for recommendations and roadmap. And they basically said like, we can't afford that. And then, and, and at that point, my opinion is at that point, we should have said, okay, best of luck, but, but it kept going. And then they kind of said, well, what if you just do one hour of document review and one meeting for recommendations, and then we'll give you $800 for that. And then we said, sure. (laughs) (laughs) It was like sunken costs. It was like, yeah. We spent more time in the sales process than on the project. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad actually that you said sunk costs because, you know, do you guys know this whole thing about commitment bias, which is like, right. Okay. So you, at that point you were like, something has to, some, one of these roles of the Jack, what is it? Oh my God. What's this thing? Slot machine. Slot machine. Thank you. Oh my God. One of them has to hit, you know? And so being aware of that, you know, when you, when we get to the module on negotiating, you know, that's really one thing to be aware of, right? Mm -hmm. Just to like making sure, you know, I'm not making decisions right now because of commitment bias, right? So you think it should have just been done. At that point. Well, but the thing, is, the thing is, though, I think that like it was, it was a lovely project. It got a logo on our website, on the call, like the the, the like subjective emotional side, like they it, they were so pleased with the work that we did, and it felt really good because we helped mm-hmm. them. We actually helped them a lot, and they both said like, please hit us up for testimonials. We'd love to do like a LinkedIn thing, you know. So it's like if we if we kind of like break even in terms of money, but getting that logo up there, getting that, you know, the, the sort of addition, like the non-monetary benefits of that project, I think were worth it. But I think for, so for us, I shouldn't have said we shouldn't have done that project. Like we, it was great, but how do we not do that project six months from now? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Totally. Yes. Um, A few things. I think first, you know, thinking about the non-monetary benefits, you know, it's funny because when we, you know, like, again, when you guys get to the negotiation piece, it's like, we're always sort of looking for if once, once somebody says, you know, I can't afford that or whatever, it's not what I had in mind, then we can start to make a decision and we can, we can, you know, structure something that has benefits to us that aren't just money. There are like five things that you can work on, you know, that you like levers you can pull that aren't just money. How do you craft something that's advantageous for your business? Now, the trap that people fall into a lot is, well, it's a good logo and then they don't do anything with it, right? Like it's just, they sort of sits there on the internet and doesn't actually help them. So there's like two, a few phases right now. Like one is how can we mine it? How can we use it, right? Like if they're like, use this for testimonials and you're like, well, we don't know how to ask for that. Just ask, do you know what I'm saying? Like reach out, craft something that we want to make it super, super easy for. Hold on. Is that my son? Hold on. He really wants to come in. Oh, does he have good advice? 
Does yeah, he's really yeah. good at negotiating. I'll be oh, like, sure. you can have, I'll be like, you can have one cracker. And he's like, how about three crackers? Yeah. How about three? Yeah, I'll go to bed 20 minutes earlier. Right. No, he's really good. I mean, he wrote this module, actually. It's all yeah. him. <laughs> so where was I going with this? Oh, so here's a few phases. How can you use it? Get the testimonial. Turn it into content. Talk about, without naming names, like what are some common issues that hold up this process? Why is you know focusing on these things that you think are not important actually really important? How do most people do this process that is actually wrong, right? So how can we like mine it for that so that you actually really can use it for good? And then, you know, this, the other thing is, you know, like, how do you prevent this from happening? Like the truth is that if this guy, if your lowest cost program costs $5,000 and these guys really had it in mind that it was 800, like they just, they weren't ever going to be a great client for you until you like sort of came up on the fly with this other offer. Yeah. Having what's called a downsell is okay. It's like, oh, you can't, if, if this, program this $5,000 thing is not what either what you had in mind or, you know, within your price range or whatever, you can have a downsell, but the downsell has to be really good for you. Mm-hmm. And it has to take like no work basically. So for example, somebody wants to do the Academy, they when and when like all the, all the things you get, right. And all the coaching and strategies or whatever, and they can't afford it. It's like, well, you know, alternatively, we could just talk for an hour and I could tell you stuff that you can run with, give you some guidance. It doesn't require me to do anything, right? It's a really low lift for me, but it's also like, it has to be advantageous for me to jump on the phone, right? So you can have something like this, but it has, just make sure that it is really advantageous for you. Uh And PS, you know, when people take this option, which doesn't happen very often because they see the benefits of the academy, because I'm like, you get none of the strategies, you get none of the templates, none of the coaching. Yeah. I just talk to you for an hour and then you you take my advice and you go run with it. Mm-hmm. Right. So for that reason, you know, people see that there's value going in the other direction. So there's this like sushi place by me, right? That has like a lunch special. It's like two rolls for eleven dollars or three rolls for fourteen dollars. Right. Well, like obviously three rolls for fourteen dollars like makes more sense two rolls for $11 would be like overpaying, right? So like you can, that type of principle is used all over the place, even like my local sushi place, because you're like, we have this $5,000 program. We do all these things, you know, it includes all this stuff. There's all this value embedded in it. Or like, we can talk to you for two hours and it's like $2,500. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the word downsell. Like as somebody who's worked in sales for so long, it's always like the upsell, but but what is the downsell, which kind of reverses like what, like upsell, I'm trying to like add something for your more money, but I'm giving you something else. And if you're downselling, then I'm giving you less, but you're giving me something. So that well, yeah, makes it's like, it's like, sense. totally. It's like, cause when you think about a downsell, it's like, you're actually, you, the client is actually still getting what you want. Yeah. You don't want to pay $5,000 you're getting what you want, but it's on my terms. Mm-hmm. What happened here with you guys in that other client is they got what they wanted and they got it on their terms. Yeah. And not in terms of like an ego thing, you know, whatever, but like you yeah. are, you are building a business. And so 
you know, how can you avoid this in the future is craft something that is a downsell. What we delivered, I feel like was a good, really easy for us program. I just, maybe we can be more intentional next time and be like, that's whatever, $2,000 or something. Yeah. Right. And really, and also they gave you, this is good data, right? It's all good data. There's no mistake. It's all good data. And the fact that they, they said, well, can't you just tell us what we should fix and review it? That's really good data because I don't know if you were in the Etsy training, that'll be on your roadmap also, but this easy to say yes, Etsy stands for easy to say yes. It's basically when somebody says, well, can't you do this? And you, we use this pricing framework and a program creation framework to quickly craft something that does that exact thing, Hmm. you know? So now guess what you, this is exactly what you're talking about. Now we can create this thing that like, we can sell it. We can offer again as a downsell. Yeah. Yeah. We are getting a lot of interest from people in this exact phase too. Like with all our cold outreach, they're like, well, we have four weeks to fix this thing. And they like, it's, there's very clearly a need so yeah, this makes a lot of sense that we can have a well, can I can I offer one more thing? Uh-huh. So, and maybe you you have this from your sales background also, but like if somebody says, I have four weeks to do something, then they are giving you really important information about the likelihood that they will need to say yes to something. I mean, think about like when you were in sales, if somebody was like, We need to get this closed by whatever date, and you're like, amazing. I'd love to work within the parameter for you. Uh, Yeah. So, so, you know, maybe this is really good data in terms of like, you have this program that's like the four weeks to, and guess what? If you literally have four weeks, if they have four weeks, or they might have to start the process all over and we know how laborious it it is because that's what you guys are here for. I mean, maybe that program's not 2,500. Maybe it's like a lot. Do you know? Do you guys know that term BATNA? Have you heard of that? This term BATNA? Yeah. Best alternative, alternative to negotiated yeah, yeah. agreement. Yeah. Right. It's negotiations. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> exactly. So what the old boys would call like leverage or whatever, but like they don't have as much leverage as you have, right? Because you're not under a four-week timeline. Right. So just ways to think about it. I guess where the where I'm going with this is nobody made a mistake right? You got a lot of great data. Yeah. And, and it's going to be more profitable next time. All right. So I want to spend a little bit more time on something we kind of glossed over on that call because we were talking about, you know, how did they get here with this client doing this work for a small dollar amount and how to avoid it in the future. And the first way to avoid this situation is by thinking about who is your ideal client. And there's one quality of an ideal client that as you think about your ideal client, I want you to put on your list. I want you to write this down. This is a mandatory criteria for any ideal client. Okay, ready? Your ideal client is one who can afford you. I'll say it again. Your ideal client is one who can afford you. I firmly believe that. When we go through the ideal client module in the academy and we go through the exercises of what defines an ideal client for us, I actually make every one of my members write down that phrase. My ideal client is one who can pay my fees. Because I talk to so many women who wanna help the people that they're talking to, the clients that they're talking to. And they sort of 
bend over backwards. Or they think that because they've talked to some clients and the client said, oh, that's expensive. They think that they need to create some sort of very low cost scaled offering like a course or whatever. But here's the thing. If they can't pay your fees, they aren't your client. Because just because somebody really needs your help, that's actually not enough criteria for you to work with them. So your ideal client can afford you. And that's why it's so important to talk about price upfront. And that's another part of the methodology in the academy, the conversation framework. Because otherwise, if you're not talking about price upfront, then you don't know if they're a good client for you. And you can end up spending lots of time in this process only to find out that they can't afford you. So that's what I want you to take away from this episode. Your ideal client is one that can pay your fees. If they can't pay your fees, they are allowed to work with somebody else, but you're not required to make it work with them. And when you can adopt this mentality and you have this criteria for your ideal client and you know how to talk about price upfront, then you can make a choice. Because I'm not one to say that you have to walk away from a client who can afford you in every instance. Because think about it, if your work costs, say, 30K, and when you talked about the price in the conversation, your client had you know 25K in mind, then you can make a choice. You can adjust the scope. You can include non-monetary benefits to craft something that's still advantageous for you. But if your work costs 30K and your client thought it was 5K, then you can also make a decision and refer them to somebody else who might be a better fit. Or if you're so motivated, you can craft a downsell as you heard us talk about today. In this case, they agreed to a scope that they liked, but the price was so far out of their acceptable range. But they had gone so far down the path with them that they ended up saying yes. And it's interesting because they were asking, well, how do we prevent this from happening again? And I don't think that armed with the tools they have now, that they're gonna end up here again. But if you're going back and forth with a client over scope or price, remember to trust your gut. Don't feel like you have to say yes right away. Think about it, get some distance and trust your gut and trust your instincts. Because you have the right to work with clients in a way that feels good to you and that's advantageous for your business. So make the choices you're gonna feel really good about. 